0: Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Royal Academy of Arts. Emanuel Christ and Christoph Gantenbein rose to prominence really in 2002 when they won the international competition for the Swiss National Museum in Zurich. At that time, they were four years into practice, having just set up after graduating from ETH with no-built projects, and they won that competition, beating off many of their great countrymen. And while it's taken 14 years to come to fruition, it opened earlier this year to great accolades. And over that time, you've seen a practice who have created a wonderful portfolio of work, which has included many other cultural projects, as well as housing, offices, apartments and pavilions. And across the work you see sort of a sense of material sensibility, um, a reverence to history. Projects that continue to be treated in ways that I think are really inventive, exciting and show a spatial sophistication that is really enlightening. They're now 35 architects with five associates based in Basel. Both Christoph and Emmanuel continue to teach, um, having done some in Driso, Oslo, and now hold posts at both ETH and Harvard. And I'm delighted to say that they are both here, having come in from Germany and from the States, to join us this evening. So I'll hand over to Emmanuel, who's going to take us through some of their work. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation and the introduction. We thought that we show you four projects, hoping that these four projects are able to explain how we think about architecture, what our approach to the profession, to the discipline is, and how these projects came across. (laughs) The first project that I show is called Pictures from Italy. Literally, it's photographs. These are pictures we took on a trip to Italy, like 17 years ago, I think. So it was a classical educational trip. You could say it was the grand tour, it was the famous Italian journey, and we were young and, um, of course, uh, romantic about architecture. And um, it turned out to be more than just this trip. It was somehow our first architectural project, and that's why I dare to show it to you. I actually think it still tells very much, very well, how we think and how we feel about architecture. As I said, we went to Italy, and we visited buildings, and we took pictures. Actually, there were still slides at the time, diapositives, approximately, I don't know, 1,200 or something like that. And we saw ancient ruins, the Renaissance, we saw Baroque, but also the 19th century, and modern architecture in Italy, actually just accidental findings, the ordinary, the everyday architecture of a small town, or like you might see on these... Samples here, a small garden house, for instance. I would say in many terms we found more than we were looking for. And it turned out, as I said, that this trip and this taking pictures had a big influence on how we then approached together our work and our practice and our architectural position. We found that so important that then, 13 years later, we decided to make a book about it. And this is the actual project that I'm presenting. It is something like an artistic manifesto on how we understand architecture. And it has a text, and it is an architect writing. We don't write that much. So it is this half a page. This is the text. Right? <laughs> and then you can flip it, and there is a German translation. And then you find the photographs. And the photographs is basically a confrontation, a juxtaposition. This is one example on the left. One of these pictures from Italy on the right, a picture of one of our projects, a housing project in that case. It is an experiment. And I dare to sh- it's a bit of an experiment also that I show it to you tonight. So please forgive me if this doesn't make so mu- that much sense, but I think it could make sense because it is a composition and it is an artistic composition and also, to a certain extent, an intellectual composition to bring these things together because we think it is about relation in architecture that actually is the driver for our projects. It is our work in relation to architectural history, but also perhaps it is our work in front of something that is like our personal history and our personal experience. So in that sense, it's also very personal. It makes sense that we are both here, I think. So a book about an architecture full of relationship. And that's the back cover. That is the back cover with one of our buildings. And now, in order to give you an idea how this works, I decided to show you all the pages of that book. But you can see it's very thin. And this is like project one out of four And it is, I think, the perfect introduction to what will follow afterwards. Okay, so we start again with page number one. This is the manifesto. I don't read it to you. Anyhow, it's a bit strange to quote um, your own text. But I will just quote a little. And Christoph, I think Christoph wrote it, so I can quote Christoph. I think that would make even more sense. It is about the trip, pictures from Italy. was our first architectural project. That's how it starts. The pictures were shot in 1999 during a 6 weeks journey throughout Italy. And now comes the importance. We internalized this journey so much that our identity as designing architects became fundamentally influenced by these images. Why? Because, and this is the first theoretical input here, we are convinced that the project never starts from scratch, but on the contrary creativity is always related to that which exists and that it gains nourishment and inspiration from it. And in this case, it is to a certain extent these pictures. So I go on and then, as I told you, then it's the, that's the translation. It's an index of the shown photographs. So a very short description. And then follows the next page. That's a detail of, not our first, but our second project. That was an extension to the one family house, built in concrete, cast on site. The petrification of a corrugated steel house. And here you see another constellation of this house on the left. I think we finished in 2001. And on the right, uh, you see this ancient sarcophagi outside a church in Ravenna. So I take another quote from that short text in the beginning. It speaks about our own projects that materialized in the the meantime, so since the trip we did quite some work. And somewhere in all of these projects is an imprint of one of these Italian pictures, mainly taking on a general form. Personal pictures and pictorial memories have to be generalized to a certain extent. We don't want to reproduce them directly. They take form when we translate them into project ideas in an architectural vocabulary. Free to your interpretation. So, this is the interior of that s- very um, same garden wing of the single family house with a wallpaper on the left. And you might recognize a detail of the facade of Palazzo De in Mantova. It is a book about Italy, very selective, and about our work. You could say selective too. This is our first building we did. It's a housing project, small housing project next to a Railroad so I give you some drops, some ideas, rather some hints on our first projects in approaching then the second one I show. This is in Rimini. so rather casual. It's beautiful. I don't tell you more. And then you see the Sala dei Giganti in, in Palazzo Te on the left, and the end of a very long housing um, building we did in Basel, completed, I think, in 2010, uh, in brick. solid so far. And uh, you see the same building on the left, with uh, Porta Paglio and Verona on the right, with this beautiful extension in brick and a very modern gesture by Michele San, uh, uh, on, on, the, on the on the on the Porta by Michele San Michele. Again Palazzo Te, another project that actually consists of two buildings. You see the gap, but you see on the right is a housing project, and in the back, in the courtyard, you see. A workshop building. These two, the housing and the workshop, is a building we did 2009, I think. Here you have it again on the left, the same building, and you see it deals with the, the normality, the everyday of the city, of a street in Basel. And on the right-hand side, you have the market at Rialto in Venice. And um, I dare to give you a third quote, of this short text. By offering these juxtapositions, we aim at illustrating our general architectural philosophy and not delineating an architectural genealogy of our work, which means it is not that this image directly influenced the one on the left. We want to express the continuity of the architectural through the coexistence of the pictures. Architecture stays architecture. You can design it anew, but never really reinvent it. And then, at certain moments like here, we deliberately provoke by using the pair to show the existence of permanent architectural motifs, always the same themes, always coming back in a new form in one way or another. Proportion, windows, simple things, it's beautiful. Architecture is about language, isn't it? Here, the workshop in the courtyard that I showed you as an open space, compared to a different type of open space. Huh. The workshop from the outside, classical plastic facade, contrasted with the back of St. Peter's in Rome. I don't know whether one is allowed to do that, but somehow every architect travels to Greece and to Rome and you always ask yourself, where is the connection? Why are we doing this? And we tried to be a little bit explicit about it, and we share it with you. I think this is very generous. And um, <laughs> from both from both sides, also that you're listening to me, but don't, don't misunderstand. All right, and this is um, Venice, uh, San Francesco, and uh, the right uh, next to it, this wonderful small square. Temple of Antonius and Faustina on the Forum Romanum in, in Rome that then was trans- has been transformed into a church in the Middle Ages and again um, reformed in, in the Baroque times. So it's about continuity and contrast. An office building with a carpet on the left, we did that. Outside Basel, a very modern building, combined here with the famous Baroque garden and and Villa Lante in Bagnaglia, outside of Rome, done by Vignola. You see the same building on the left, a bit hidden there. So just a hint on the right. Modern architecture on the beaches near Rimini in Cattolica. This is a wonderful image, and we don't remember where we took it. (laughs) And this is, is, um, again, the office building that actually opens a big loggia, so it is pure structure, almost ruin-like, perhaps. Last quote. In certain pairs, like this one, this bridge between the two, from one picture to the other, is less strong. But maybe a common, more general theme arises, or a subconscious memory of a picture might have speeded up the project at a decisive moment. Through reflection, we are only now becoming aware of it. The two pictures next to each other are equivalent and simultaneous. This is the decisive point. It is about this simultaneity of the picture pairs and not about any biographic succession. In our view, a sort of timelessness resides in this simultaneity. All pictures are seen equally of here and now and not as historic because the picture are all, in a higher sense, pictures from Italy. That's the point we are making. And you see another project we did in 2011, it was finished. It is an office building sitting on a slope with a massive circle for a bank. This is the station of Siena, beautiful Italian modernism. This is just a reinforcement steel and the scaffolding for a column we built in Mexico. At the time we did the book, it was not finished. So it's just the view to the sky through that um, column that had to be put in place. Perhaps you saw it in another lecture here, I don't know. There was a group project we did in Mexico, um, on an invitation by Tatiana Bilbao. The one on the left is also something we did, And we decided in the meantime to call it sculpture. I think it's not a building because it is a tree or a mushroom or a pavilion. But of course, there is a fascination with materiality, with material, with space and the ruin like the ruin like quality. As you see it then for these columns or the skeleton of that beautiful courtyard in the Palazzo Bentivoglio in in Bologna, a Renaissance um, Palazzo. So this is in China on the left. Quite a long way. Another beautiful image. I think it's Verona. On the way back from dinner, a street in Rome. So it is also the fascination with these kind of casual moments, huh, where the presence of a building is just is just um, perhaps defined through that corner with the brickwork. It doesn't always need, let's say, the beauty and perfection of Renaissance architecture. And this is a, of course another very important um, project, both on the left, the Swiss, or let's say, the addition, the internal addition to the Swiss church in London, here in Covent Garden, Uh, a piece of furniture, you might say, a timber construction with glass and mirrors and the organ on top is reflecting the historic space of that Palladian architecture that is the Swiss church. And, on the right, so it is about dissolution perhaps also of space and on the right you have the columns in the garden of Banyaya the park I showed you before. Okay, there is also a sense of humor. I, I don't have to, ex- uh, to be explicit about every pair. This is a picture we took in Rome, next to the Vatican, and on the right you see the parapet, the gallery of our Swiss church um, construction with the organ under the vault, under the this again is another view of that Swiss church mezzanine space that is um, opening the view to the, main, to the main space and on the right a little bit more generous um, example of the same type of architecture. It was Vasari who was invited to do the tombs and the interior decorations um, of uh, Santa Croce in, in Florence. But Uh, it is a great tradition to reform, transform churches and their interior. And on on the left is a rather modest attempt to work into the same direction. That is the the Palazzina Reale in in Florence, uh, next to the station by Michelucci. Here Florence again, Vasari, you know the Uffizi. And I think it's interesting, I mean, because... Going back to look at the, at the history and at these old buildings and to try to get in, to get inspired and to revitalize what you see, I mean, this is the principle, very in very short, of the Renaissance. And by the way, Vasari was the first, I, I read recently, to use that term of Renaissance. So he was the inventor, the con- let's say the theoretical inventor of, um, of Renaissance. And I think it's important that we mention this in the context of that Rather, let's say, a loose line of architectural theory that I'm trying to draw here, and you see a picture on the left. Uh, another work we did in the mid 2000s, um, 2000, 2005 to 9, I think, is a new space, sort of physically newly built in uh, an old part of the Swiss National Museum. So we. We were um, busy with transformations and refurbishment and renovation of that listed building complex that we'll see a little bit later. On the right, we are um, seeing the Curia Iulia, I mean, a Roman building being transformed and rebuilt um, several times uh, in the last period in the 1930s with a certain degree of abstraction that is beautiful on the Forum Romanum. And finally, another view in an interior of the Palazzo Te this beautiful kind of surrealism avant la lettre in, in, with the horses standing on the door and our view from a cafe we did in a park in Basel a couple of years uh, ago. And that's, I think, the last image of that first project that tried to give you an impression. It didn't really explain the project, but it should somehow serve as a kind of a backdrop or a context for what follows. This is actually the last page of the book. And um, now I would like to move on. The Swiss National Museum is an important project, as it's been said uh, in the introduction. It was our first big commission, and it kept us busy, it still does uh, keep us busy, since 2002, so 14 years, more than 14 years. And um, But I think also given... This idea of continuity and of working with something that exists, an extension project, um, seems to be something like the ideal case for such an understanding of architecture. So we thought it fits us quite well. And if I come back to what I just said, a project never starts from scratch, it's always related to something that already exists. And is inspired from that what is already there and with this with these ideas in mind and with this openness and this interest and this eagerness also to get inspired and to learn from what 's already here, we approached um, this uh, museum that that is right next to the to the Zurich main station that you see in the background and um, I think this was uh, a conceptual <coughs> model that Turned out to be very important because I think it shows very, very clearly the idea of the project. It is an existing, quite complex, n- late 19th century um, architecture. The, the existing museum, consisting of different parts, is a sort of a pastigio, a, 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 a kind of a conglomerate of different, of different types and styles of architecture, uh, trying to to um, create a iconography for Swiss architectural history and, more generally speaking, Swiss national identity in terms of culture and architecture. So it's even quoting existing buildings. I mean, this is typical for the time. This is the historicist period. There is a very, actually, I understand, influenced example in Edinburgh at the same time. That is also the museum there, the, historic, the, the Museum of History, that was, that was at the time um, more or less a, a contemporary of this one. However, a building complex that is very, very specific, not necessarily very radical, it's rather a series, and are not, are not very, very, um, uh, let's say, hierarchical in terms of its architectural structure. So it's like a series of individual decisions, uh, one room after the other, how to extend such a thing. And what we proposed is rather conceptual and typological, so to speak. You see there was this existing, let's say, open courtyard like a C-shape where you would have this dead-end situation by running to, to one wing and then back again, and we proposed to close the circle, to create a closed circuit that is a spatial, first and foremost a spatial functional thing that you then would walk around. But of course it is also a symbolic gesture to... Um, Bring the old and the new together, past and present, in order to create a common space in between where one is facing the other. So you could have a uh, a full set of metaphors about uh, our approach to history and the own past of of such an institution or, more generally speaking, of the culture of of a country. And, And it is something that I call... Oh, actually, no, it's not true. It was it was um, Sam Jacob who called it a contextual counterpiece. So it is contextual. It is a, a piece of architecture that couldn't exist and couldn't find its form without the specific givens of that of that site and of that building. On the other hand, it is a counterpiece. It is it is a statement that finds its own form, its own identity, its own expression. And I think it shows very beautifully, perhaps. We will see then a little bit later about the spaces and, and we can argue about that and also discuss later. But I think it shows also very clearly uh, on, a, on a conceptual level what I tried to introduce before, this obsession or fascination with continuity on the one hand, but then also rupture or free interpretation. I think this is important. When I'm looking back at history, and when we try to engage what we find on our way, it's not out of nostalgia. It is not because we don't have ideas. It's just we think if we somehow can echo what we find, we, we are activating a much bigger potential. And I think this is, I mean, this is very generally speaking, but it's so true, this is what culture is about. It's a process of accumulation. And doing an extension is like a perfect case for that. It's the accumulation of cultural, of cultural layers par excellence. And therefore I think it is a very interesting task to do such a, such a project. It's perhaps also, I have to admit, perhaps easier also than doing something, you know, from scratch, out in the nature, I don't know. We like the context of the city and of existing buildings. However, the new wing is facing a park. There are two rivers. This is a river, and up there is another river. So it's a kind of Swiss picturesque site. In reality, it's not that picturesque. It is the station, as I said, and before there was the museum, there was a a gas um, uh, factory, so it was a rather industrial site, but still with the park, one of the oldest in that, in that town, it is a, is a beautiful setting. and there are new galleries that's the main program, but also a library and um, an auditorium. so some and, and workshops and infrastructure, the typical story you know that that the old museums, they are protected, listed buildings, they can't breathe anymore eh, because everything is too tight and regulations and so on. And that's great for us because it gives opportunity to build. Let's face it. It's the same here, I understand. And so that contextual counterpiece, that's how it looks seen from the river, actually from the top. This is the part on on your left that that we see here. Uh, Oh, perhaps I should say one more thing. Uh, Sorry. Is there, can I? No. Yeah, perhaps. This looks like a really dangerous thing. uh, as long as I don't point on somebody, it's okay. So this is the cer- closing the circle. The wing that folds with the trees, the roof, the skyline, that is a free form, I have to admit, which is interesting. And so, but of course, the suggestion is that this free folding of the roof is somehow echoing this principle of, of creating that movement that you find with the uh, small towels and roof shapes in, in the existing. So yes, I belong to that. At the same time, I try to find my own language, if I may say, say so. And then one uh, element that actually is not so much of a detail, I think, is that this wing closing here, the coat off from the garden, is giving a, a sort of a creating a, an opening here with a bridge. Uh, It's like bridging over from that side to this side. And you have a direct spatial connection from one side, from the outside to the inside. And, uh, of course, this is very, very important, given the fact that this is a public, urban place where interaction and movement is is absolutely key. Uh, But now I look from the river, and you see it's a concrete building done in fair-faced concrete, Uh, you get a sense of the scale. The old building, uh, much detailed. The new building, rather, rather simple. Not so many windows. There's one, basically one big window, like one (coughs) fenêtre en longueur that is facing um, the river and the buildings across the river. And for the rest, it's rather closed. Museums don't want any windows. uh, It's true, no windows. But that window can also be closed. And, of course, we liked it also. It's something technical. And I have to that's for the anecdote. But it was, it's, a, it's a, so a public building. We had two referendums, and it was highly contested. And I don't think so much for the architecture. That was secondary. It was, it was a fundamental question. Is it right to renew such an institution? Do we want to build there? And if yes... How should that possibly be done? Because it's all about our past. So a kind of contemporary gesture in such a situation is a political issue in Switzerland, and we had to go through referendums and we had to go through to the streets and see posters with our building, you know, like in the 1930s with a nasty shadow, and it was really, it was really a kind of a campaign. And we always said, no, 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 it is not a bunker. No, 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 it's not a bunker. We said, and then. <laughs> But to a certain extent, it is a bunker. I mean, and, and, uh, and, and as you all know, or perhaps not all of you, but um, going back to this personal architectural history that I showed you in a, perhaps a little bit lighthearted but still serious way before, the pictures from Italy. As you know, Paul Virilio did these wonderful pictures from the western shore uh, 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 in, in Normandy and Bretagne for, of, the, of the bunkers. So bunker archaeology is a key work for us. We, we, um, we always dream of doing this trip once and to really go and see them and find them now even more tilted in the sand. But there is such a beauty also. I mean, if we try, if we allow ourselves to make a little bit abstraction from it, you know, the body, the physicality, the physical presence of such an object, and then the few little pro- um, openings that are maybe windows, maybe it's just for a ventilator, we don't know, and then this horizontal window that can go up and, You know, like this. So it can also open up and that's then how it looks from the inside, so that's more like an elegant modern space uh, with a balcony for the library and that's then how it uh, is is, um, depicted from another perspective in the park. You actually never really see the building as a whole and I think this is important. It is this kind of appearance in different parts that also goes a little bit with the idea of that fragmentation that you already find in the existing one and you can recognize how here it lifts up and gives you a hint then on how the space continues towards the interior, the inside of the courtyard, and opening also these views of a portion of the old building then, that, that then appears like almost an uh, exhibit in itself. So that's a rather romantic uh, view. Then we have this small, very shallow water uh, pond that circle under under the belly of the building for the nice reflections and i think this is of course before it really opened so it's a very popular place now uh, i'm glad to see this how it's now starting to be inhabited and then you guess behind behind that these windows there is something like the big public space in the interior we'll see that in a minute yeah. is it a sculpture is it a building it's a bit both, it's object and house, we don't know really. We found it important that there there are moments that refer clearly to the, let's say, basic elementary vocabulary of architecture, the roof. And um, here are the workshops. So where people work, where people study, there are the windows, where it is more (coughs) the exhibitions the spaces are much more introverted. That's the logic, the very simple logic of the holes that act more like um, just, as I said, openings and, and then these ribbon windows. Here you see how it appears as an object, I would say, from house to object, from building to object. Uh, and this gives you a sense of the spaces, and that's what I try to say with the model. It is very much about that physical relationship of the two, the proximity. Huh? Almost like a old town, a bit romantic, it's a bit Camillo Cite, the, the, the famous theoretician on how to build cities in a picturesque way. Yeah? If you see this, you understand that these views, how this comes close here, that was of course very well measured with uh, hundreds of models and, uh, and sketches, in order to understand how Close, we can get actually. Also, in terms of materiality, the concrete that you see, this is a story on its own. I keep it short. But we developed, during, I think, like for more than two years at least, we tried to create a concrete mixture that matches the color and uh, the actual material of the existing building, which is mainly built different stones. But this brown st- brownish stone here is tough, so very porous, and it's actually exactly what you don't want for concrete. Because it absorbs too much water. Anyhow, so with a lot of engineering we arrived to a mixture that actually contains tough stone in a very fine granule. And it and it I think it works quite well, it matches. So that was the idea. Again, now you see rupture, contrast, but continuity at the same time. V- very didactic and very dialectic at the same time. And um, and then we water chatted the surface and that gives the appearance of that then of the surface of the of the concrete. And here the view in the other direction, where where you feel a little bit perhaps the spatial drama. And then I take you inside, and I, I go on. This is a small auditorium, so the concrete in the outside, having this brownish, a bit warm tone in the inside. It's it's very technical, and that was uh, I think it is quite a contribution to the question: What is a museum? As you understood me perfectly, I don't believe really in inventions in architecture. You only can have intentions, the forms are already there somehow, I guess. So, but still, the intention was to, 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 to conceive and understand this new part of the museum as a very robust, almost industrial-like space that opens and invites for experiments. And this is a statement, again, in that context of such an institution, try out new things, be brutal to the building, make whatever you want, and we mean it, and we did it, and you see the, 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 the fair face concrete, the open ceiling, it's a little bit like the infrastructure of a, of a theatre stage, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's actually also here, then, you can understand there is this bridge or this, this kind of lifting up, creating rather troubles in the interior. So how to use that space? And this is a part of the auditorium that we then uh, activated, so to speak, for, for this function. And here, the famous, the famous hole. It's not the window. It is giving you orientation. We had to fight for that. And we said, look, true, it is the scenographers and they tell you a story. But when you move through that building and it's complex, you have to know where you are. It's these basics that, 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 I mean, the elementary relationship inside, interior, exterior, and so on. What is interesting that this hole, I think the diameter is 1.10, uh, 1, yeah, uh, 1 meter or 8, yeah, and um, and actually we first built the concrete wall and then we drilled it out. Uh. So we pushed it quite far with that technical obsession of being not a window, and um, but that's how we did it, that's not staged, it's true, uh. and um, so, and by doing so, again, and I know, maybe I'm stressing it a little bit too much, coming from, let's say, Italian Renaissance and then arriving here, but in the end it's also and always about how things are made. And, of course, we are aware of the fact that you don't always have the money to do that. It wants to be very simple, basic, archaic almost. This is very often, as we can imagine, an extra effort, but there were technical reasons to do so, because of of, um, the engineering of the wall, because of the detailing because then you just cut it out, no further no further detail. I go through the building a bit quicker, that's then under the roof, which is the main exhibition floor actually, where you can um, see how then the ceiling starts to move and getting rather, um, uh, let's say, a bit dizzy. Uh, and then in the center of the building, on the top of the bridge, we find, we find that moment where on the left, you enter the exhibition halls and on the right you have these big stairs that is like a public space I said uh, before, or yeah, a, a kind of a arena or a, or a, a, sm- a small theatre, rather steep in, in in the building. On the right you would then look towards the existing. And that's a space that invites, of course, for experiment. It's also a bit of crazy space because you have to walk through there and, and um, we also understood it's perhaps a bit pushed too far. Huh? We... We were, um, we were a bit maybe naive and innocent, or you could also call it uh, stupid, but um, we, really, we really just proposed that stair. There is a lift somewhere, but all the people have to walk this stair. And I also apologize a little bit for that because we understood this is somehow too much imposing as a gesture for, 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 for a public <laughs> building. It is great, and when you stand down there, it is like, wow. But for those... Who don't walk so easily? It is not so. It's not so good. And um, but sometimes also in old buildings. Eh? That's why they are so beautiful. So I'm a bit undecided about how, how critical I should be. But we learned something about it that it is a very straightforward gesture. And here you see now a, a few more shots on on um, how how the first exhibition that actually opened in August uh, looks like. It is actually on renaissance in Europe. So I think it's quite beautiful, you know. Uh, And these are some uh, archaeological uh, pieces found in Switzerland, so Roman architecture. And it's great, this abstraction of our architecture that almost wants to be not real architecture anymore, you could claim, contrasted with these capitals and these fragments of the classical order somehow meeting in in their materiality of stone, if I may say, uh, and seen from above. And, of course, it's nice that then our turbine hall, our little turbine hall, is uh, um, giving space for such a beautiful model as this famous church in Todi. And also now you see that then once um, the, the exhibition takes place, there is, of course, some additional elements that help the display, and I think this is actually how it is meant to be. You see drawings by Da Vinci and other things at the moment. It's actually quite a spectacular exhibition. And this is some more um, archaeology in, a, in another gallery space, in order to also give you a, a sense of, this, of the size and the scale of the building. And this head looks down. <laughs> it's a strange. I mean, we didn't propose to put it there, but why not? Huh? And what is nice, What is nice? It is, um, this is actually the desk the desk of Jacob Burkhardt, and as you might know, he was a a, a very important scholar who wrote um, the books on, on I mean, the Cicerone on Italy and the uh, the Renaissance architecture and and the Renaissance uh, in in general, so he's the great master of of Renaissance, if I may say, and um, a Swiss from Basel, actually, And, um, and this was his desk, and somehow, I like to put that image here because coming from Italy now in this lecture and talking about Renaissance, I think everything makes perfectly sense. Um, And I go to Basel now, showing you the third project. Um, That is also a sort of a juxtaposition. And this is the first, actually really true, the first, one of the very first images we did during the competition. On the right-hand side, you see the existing Kunstmuseum, Basel, it's uh, world famous for its collection. It's a quite beautiful building from the 1930s that um, uh, I think got a lot of of, um, of uh, attention and also um, appraisal in the in the recent in the in the recent decades. In the beginning, being close to the history of the 1930s in general and and the monumental. Um, uh, architecture of, of fascism and other it had a difficult time the building because it engages with a certain iconography the balcony the symmetry but i think this is only a uh, one aspect it is a, at the same time a very modern and a proud building that actually also works with pictures from italy the, Palazzo Ducale in Venice, the idea of a civic building that is a palazzo for the people of the city. I mean, this is a very basic narrative, but that's actually how it was meant to be and how to a certain extent it still works or works again. However, it's a beautiful, important museum that expresses also something. The idea of perhaps uh, custodian architecture, there is a treasure inside and it is the collection. And I think I should talk about the collection in two, in two words because it's considered one of the most important painting collections, not necessarily because it's enormous. It's quite considerable in size, but perhaps what is the characteristics that make it so, so special is the continuum in time. It started in the, with old masters from the 14th century, middle, late middle age, and it goes continuously up to today. And it is also the first, let's say, public or civic art collection in Europe, or I don't know, in the Western world, let's say, um, which means it was not the royal family since such a thing doesn't exist in Switzerland. It was a bourgeois scholar, a kind of um, homo universalis who was a collector, typically. We're talking six, 17th, early 17th century. Um, and then sold this collection to the university. And from that moment on, and we are uh, uh, in the late 17th century, it was open to the public, which was, of course, a very restricted public at the time. And since then, it's ongoing collecting, uh, collecting work that takes place. And we, did, we, did, uh, we had the opportunity to participate in an international competition. I have to say that huh? we are <laughs> international competition. For the extension of that museum across the street, which is the kind of a interesting and a bit tricky thing, because usually an extension would just be an additional wing, as we know and as we know from fantastic examples here in London, newer and older ones. Here it was a bit different. There was a big uh, competition, anonymous, two stages, etc. Et everybody in, and then it happened that sort of the local guys won, and. Um, we were very proud and very happy, and it was also perhaps a little bit embarrassed in the beginning, because we had to understand that it was really uh, perhaps the fact that we were very familiar and open also to really understand what is going on in that specific place. And sometimes, as you all know, at least or I can imagine that you all know, or you can you can um, uh, is. Very often, it is not necessarily an advantage that you are so close on your subject, and that uh, it, it, it mostly it would hinder you to do a reasonable design. And here, somehow, we 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 were in love with that building, and we knew about it, and we we studied the site very carefully, and um, so we engaged in a in a real dialogue, and that's basically what I'm trying to say. The new building stands on the left; it's this juxtaposition, and in the first part of my lecture, these relationships were perhaps rather kind of a bit blurred and a bit, a bit spooky. Here I think it's pretty clear. And it's also quite strategic into, as, a, as a design strategy, I mean, this dialogue at eye level, as we called it. So the whole project is, I think, a conscious, quite precise work on that negotiation between analogy, similarity on the one hand and difference and autonomy on the other and in that sense, it stands again, I think, as a quite a good example for how we uh, approach our, our, our architecture in general. Uh, so the building on the left is art galleries. You could say nothing more than that. It is that the existing building, this one, has a big courtyard behind, with library and cafe and all that. What was needed is basically just galleries. So hardcore museum, I might say, which we find very interesting. And the brief was also create galleries that somehow are conceived in the similar or now not in the similar in the same spirit as the ones that already exist, because we like them, we think they fit perfectly our painting collection, make them different somehow, but not too much, and make them solid and firm, committed, no flexible walls. I have to say that because I learned only afterwards that this is totally against mainstream. I uh, travel to London, perhaps, travel to New York, the new Whitney. I mean, it's like a department store. Everything is flexible. Here, nothing is flexible. That's a working model on the urban environment. As you perfectly understand, it was about anchoring that building in its urban context. That is a historic context. I save you all the the specific details, but I mean, it grew over time. So the actual plot, the site to build, was a rather accidental piece of building land, you know, and you see I'm talking about that. So the outline of the building is almost what the site was offering or asking for. The only thing that makes a strong effect, though, is that kind of kink that we fold the building here in order to have a very direct geometrical relationship, a a continuity with the front of the main building. And here then, uh, on the other side, we are pointing at the bridge, this is a bridge that is crossing the river in the city center. So that's a moment of interaction with the immediate urban surrounding and creating something like a space and a face to that crossing. And that's how it looks now. This is the finished building. So it's pretty much what you saw on the model. You understand? I was talking about the modernity and the exciting architecture of the existing building. I think you can perhaps uh, guess what I mean by looking at that uh, lateral facade. And then you see our building. It is a container. Perhaps it is a palace at the same time. Oops, we called it, we called it um, a crossover between uh, a warehouse and a baroque uh, palace i don 't know with these metaphors we have perhaps to be a bit careful anyhow. what you see what you basically what you basically see is bricks. You see layers of bricks, three shades of grey, dark a bit brighter in the middle and a bit a bit more to the white no yeah to uh, on the top, so it is grounded. you could imagine it is already wearing the traces of time, a bit worn off. We find that interesting. There Italy comes back, the romantics of the ruin. And what you also see is a door that is on that picture closed. You see some windows and you see letters. This is a frieze. That is displaying sculpture on the move. That was the title of the inaugural exhibition. So this is a temporary feature made out of light and shadow. Uh, that's a kind of a refined thing. And I have to insist uh, for a second on that element because I think it's crucial. You, you look at a building that is monolithic. It's bricks. It pretends to be there since ever, perhaps, or it at least speaks a language that you could associate easily with the Roman wall, again. Huh? So, but then there is that element huh, that also changes... And this is LED. Huh? So what we did is we had this kind of extra brick with a bit of deeper kind of um, joint, or it is just a hollow space that gives you a shadow. So it's a, it's a relief, huh? it is a, a three-dimensional, you can, yeah, no, it's just in the brick, so it creates a shadow. And then inside every joint, there lies a LED strip that you don't see from the street directly. So what, what we basically do is we have the possibility to to um, to light all that freeze indirectly. So that means what you see here is the black or the dark is just a natural shadow. And then we measure on each face of the building the actual daylight on the brick. And this... Informs then the LED via the computer that sends then the exact same or nearly same amount of light into that to compensate for the shadow And that makes this image. So we find that extremely refined. We were totally Amazed ourselves how then for a moment. This is like temporary brickwork made out of light and shadow It comes and it disappears and you look at it. and think these guys are completely crazy. They why would they why would they? Uh, put in masonry for the title of the first exhibition. Now it is the figurative Pollock, actually, so it changed already. It's also um, still having some troubles, of course, that it's too bright or too dark, but uh, when it's well adjusted, it is quite amazing. And I insist so much, not only because I'm uh, proud and happy that we got there, because it is quite um, uh, an achievement in terms of aesthetics and visual effect. And it's also important on a symbolic level that this Roman archaic piece of architecture, the timelessness that we are claiming, is meeting also, or let's, the other way around, that the digital age somehow is leaving its imprints on that brick, and that our time is, is uh, present through that technological thing, I think, is, n- is not just a gimmick. It is more than that. It is an attempt to find an iconography, and the way of bringing these different realities of architecture together. It is not a media facade in in a traditional sense, if I may say so, but it's something different. And when we go closer and when it's a bit raining, then it looks like that. And you understand that we are fascinated by grey. Grey is such a fantastic colour. I mean, it's hundreds of colours, and it's the ideal colour for architecture, I think. And this is the entrance gate, and that's just the wall on the side. I just say pictures from Italy. And then we go around the corner, and then it hits the existing backyard, uh, where then it almost appears, in at least in that shot, as a sort of an abstract body, pure brick architecture. And then there is even a sunken small courtyard on the back, where you get a sense of the dimension. It is somehow very much anchored and integrated in the context, but at the same time, it has a comparably proud um, scale, if I may say. Uh, And that's the view from the back, and that's from the front, when, I mean, like one of the main streets arriving, it's maybe a bit unfocused here on that picture. And here you see it at the end, the main building and the new one, this sort of palazzo-like arrangement, how they stand there in a row, And that's actually the plan. I don't want to hide the plan from you. You get an understanding. This is the existing one with the two courtyards. And this is comparably tiny and very compact. This is the the new one. And you immediately understand that its geometry is um, directly depending on how it is integrated or standing uh, along these two um, streets. And that's also then what informs directly the typical plan, the typological structure of the building, the two wings, they are rectangular in in themselves. That's the gallery spaces. And in the centre, you find um, the the big stairs that are connecting all the floors. So somehow one could say the building negotiates the archetypical white cube, or let's say the the classical gallery uh, of the contemporary art space with the ambiguities of its urban condition. I think this is what actually makes the whole logic and the whole um, uh, idea of that plan. Ah, And then you see the two wings and then the galleries. So it's about the proportion. I was saying it is clearly defined space and everything is load-bearing, so it's really solid. It's like a big house. It's like a house for art, as we called it, and uh, in that sense, it, it was a work, it has been a long um, work on finding the right proportions because in the end it's a decision. You do it once and then it's there. And, you know, for contemporary architects, for us, when you say you build that and it lasts for more than 100 years, one somehow don't really believe it. It's kind of scary, but maybe it even lasts 200 years. Not because the architecture is so great, but because the 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 collection is just so important. And somehow you have to be certain about what you're doing. And this is actually perhaps the most important, as as an architect, I mean, I'm saying perhaps commonplace things, but to to, to, to get aware of the fact that convincing a client can be very difficult. eh? But convincing yourself to know that this is the right thing and nothing else is much harder, of course. And so it was a work about these spaces and that is a series of photographs from the construction site and I dare to show them. Again, huh, perhaps it is my, I don't know, Piranesi, John ruin uh, obsession, but it's also, it shows so beautifully the essence of the building. Uh, the top floor with the prefabricated um, concrete elements that open to the sky with skylights. It's also, I think, beautiful photograph. That's why I'm showing. No, in terms of, of because the photograph of the of the galleries that you see in a second, they focus more on the artworks, which is also important and essential, I would say. But it gives you a spatial experience through these images that is maybe uh, important that you have it. And that's then how it looked just after completion. So yeah. while the art was moving in, so. It's partly still a bit empty. That's now changing with the time, of course. And you see, there is a marble floor and an industrial ceiling, or somehow concrete prefabricated with with, with, uh, with steel steel elements. Uh, it's actually underground. Um, uh, on the on the on the on the under that's the, that's the uh, first basement. So on that level, it is connected under the street. So actually, the two buildings they do not only connect in terms of language and relationship. There is a physical connection also underground. The and these are that's the space connecting under the street with a beautiful work by Bruce Nauman. But now there is uh, how we always suggested to do our Jeff Walls. Um, uh, you know the Lit the lid Jeff Walls is fantastic. And then here is the stair, the main stair of the new building that you uh, had on the poster on the, on the, uh, on the, on the on the internet. So this is basically still this physical presence of the real structure. It is not the fair Fairface concrete, it's like a cement stucco that we put on it. Uh, also in order to give it a certain refinement, again in relation to the existing building, the two, the two stairs, the two central spaces have somehow the same materiality but different colours. We use marble, it's beautiful, it's marble from Carrara, something that sounds like obscene. It's only nouveau riche people, or I don't know, um, the, the, who, are, who are using this. Uh, and when you go to Swiss client and you propose to put that in a, in a museum, they think you're crazy because they think of a bad taste, a hotel or a bank or something. Mm-hmm. And we think, no, it is a fantastic material. Again, uh, pictures from Italy. In Italy, you would go to a butcher shop and they have this marble on the table or on the floor. It can be very casual and it can be worn off and it had the traces of time, but it's to a certain extent timeless. Of course, there is an association or a connotation of nobility, perhaps the palazzo. It was important to have that, to to somehow give the certain level of nobility to that building. And then we contrast it, of course. You see, this is the marble. I mean, that's a construction site image with galvanized steel. So a completely different material, a total mismatch somehow, because galvanized steel alters very quickly. It gets gets matte with the time, as you know. So it's an industrial material. It's rather cheap. And um, it changes with time. So... By combining the two, we said this is a sort of a strategy to come to a crossover, where the industrial meets the timeless noble. And this also has to do with the fact that this building has to accommodate or to to, um, host art that is the Rococo paintings of the 18th century or contemporary art or the classical 1960s. So what language, what framework in terms of aesthetics is the right one? And we try to find it through this combination. And here you see now um, the rooms, the galleries. They are then uh, laid out with timber floors and have massive plaster walls. What you still see is the basic structure. Again, we are very strict, very didactic. And for some curators, they find it's far too much. Uh, They are not used anymore to the fact that between two rooms, a door could have a different material. This is something that is forbidden but it's actually also related again to the existing building. And then we go back into the galleries of the new building, that in the first set, in one floor or two floors, it was mainly the American. That is one of, when I was talking about the collection, uh, Basel, no, of course not the in Europe it was one of the first to buy very early, from the 1940s, 50s onwards. And then the Americans, after, um, after the Expressionists, And um, we have Jasper Johns, Rauschenberg, and and Warhol, and so on. And this is now a beautiful series that just focuses on these works that I think show also that we took position with that building, a very clear position. We all know that there is not the museum anymore. Since, I mean, simplifying, since Centre Pompidou, the museum as an architectural institution is, like, not existing anymore, you could argue, But also, since then, the world changed again. Art is nowadays everywhere, which is fantastic. But it's a different discourse from the 1960s. It's not that people must be invited to come and see art because they feel excluded. It is rather the opposite. Art is everywhere in the Internet. It's more the question, what different types of museum exist and how do we perceive art and what can we offer? And Kunstmuseum Basel is only one possibility, and I'm not saying it's the only one, of course, but it's a strong one. It's the one that says, the museum, we try to do that. It's a bit heavy to say that, but it's a place of contemplation. The space is solid, and it's kind of committed, and it's quiet, and it's introverted. And that's how we understood it, how the director, who was our client, um, understood it. And that's the last image of this, of this um, museum that I show you with this beautiful um, Barnett, uh, uh, um, yeah, Barnett Newman. Yeah. And to tell you that we are still... I mean, that was the two museums eh, that were also announced. So, And now comes the extra. We still have work, that's good news. And we're working on another extension. I'll uh, just do it quickly, because it's somehow, you could say, simplifying, it's like the small cousin of the Kunstmuseum setting. Eh? It is an existing museum here on the right. Actually, a quite interesting building. It's in Cologne in Germany, so an important city when it comes to, let's say, 20th century art. And, and also before, because this is the collection Walraff Richards. It's, uh, again, uh, I would say it's a, a small but important uh, painting collection. And what is interesting for us architects, the, the existing museum, the, the, the yellowish on the right, is, um, is uh, done by uh, Oswald Matthias Ungers. Uh, uh, a beautiful building, actually. So it's an extension. Again, across the street, here is a narrow street alley, and this is the new building. And what well, is also interesting, talking about relationships and how you work with the context and, and how, how you integrate by doing a project, how you create more than just your building. It is uh, interesting because the program doesn't stop with that small gallery building, it is just galleries. It also includes some housing and other elements. So it's really about um, repairing a small piece of the city in that, in that historic context. But of course the main player, so to speak, is this building, that's a competition drawing by Ungers, 1996, uh, so rather a late Ungers, opened in 2002. But already it's too small because I had a big donation and, uh, uh, and, uh, and we are now here. Hmm. But it's also interesting, Cologne, I I only understand now how much I'm insisting. I do apologize a little bit. Again, the bricks and the ruin, but (laughs) it must be like that. Cologne, it was the biggest Roman city in the north, as you might know, and this is fantastic, a beautiful history, and you have these ruins and, and archaeological sites, but it's at the same time a complete nightmare because the city is totally blocked in its historic center because every construction site is finding some... Roman ruins. And, and they don't have the money to deal with that. I mean, it's not just a joke, it's sort of a drama, because the city cannot breathe anymore bes- Beside other things because of this past, that wonderful past. And they are obsessed with these little fragments of stone. And this is maybe not r- uh, Roman, but it's stone. And um, <laughs> under our site um, was the Roman harbor, and, they s- uh, and then a wall at a certain time so this is interesting. It's layers of time, layers of construction and geology, and this is also what then uh, came to be an issue or a, a, a theme in our in our in our design that you see in some sketches here. So just a block again. You remember a gallery doesn't want any window, but we found at least somehow. One window, a a place where the interior would communicate with the exterior is, of course, important. It's a public building. We cannot do public buildings that do not communicate with the urban space. But how to do it? This is a design issue. Now I'm very kind of practical. And everybody in here who is a designer, you have this box, and then you have a little bit of a slope that is not so visible in that section. How to do a decent facade, Because we're not in the 90s anymore, huh, where you just bite off a little bit of that corner. So how to integrate that in a in a in a in a, in a decent composition, and we and it was not easy. So so then appears an idea of a socle that is of course not original at all. How to do that? Because as I said, huh, here we are in the ground at that. So cafe etc. Sure, is it like is it glazed, and um, could it communicate? physically inside outside but could it also take on some some you see the frieze from Basel kind of just being shifted to the, to the lower part communication with letters text and then we we i mean sometimes architecture is always maybe always or sometimes a bit a bit simple but we, we, Walraff Richards is somehow also how it is spelled. It's a beautiful name. That's the founders of that institution, the collectors. We're talking, I think, what is it? Early 19th? 18th and 19th century. Yeah, 18th and 19th century, the, the two guys. Walraff was the collector and Richards was the, 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 the donor of the museum. And, and um, so we took these two names, and Corbu is the, is the, is the, is the latest, but he's on the back. So what, what we did is here... It is a relief where the, the text becomes structure, becomes architecture, and because and of course it is then not we, we took it literally, so it's really supporting the building and um, that's how we integrated a moment perhaps of decor, a moment of symbolic sim, uh, symbolic uh, gesture that is also offering let 's say the exception in the composition of that brick wall that then consists of these layers and that 's how the plan works now here the new building connected in the in the, in the in the lower ground, one gallery here the mezzanine that connects with the streets through these famous letters, and then you have one and two gallery floors the second that 's to- complete analogy to Basel uh, where we develop this type of of, of skylights. That then, this is a physical model out of cardboard. Maybe the floor is too shiny, I would say, but it shows how the light then comes in. And that's the, the that's the other. That's the cross section where you get a feeling. It's not just that. It is actually this little block here with this building and that building. This one is an existing one, and that as well. And then the workshops in the courtyard. And here. You see Ungers, the block. It's very typological. It's so beautiful because, I mean, Ungers is sometimes a bit... uh, It is so always the square. Here, this is a good Ungers because he somehow combines the rigidity of his ideal architecture of the square, if I may simplify like that, with, let's say, the adaptation to the given context with that backpack that makes an articulation. I think that's very beautiful. Here is all the back of house. And then here you have... Josef Schwarz, and you have Kete Kolwitz sculpture in that ruin. It's a very historic site, huh? and we are here. This is the building, so it's also typological. Housing, offices, and art. And there's different types of apartments, we will see. And this is actually what we then design. It's all done in brick, so that's interesting, when the differentiation is made through the type and not just through taste of different colours. And I think this is interesting, and that's where then the W of Wallraff starts to move and makes the corner and here the housing and uh, the main building in the back. And what what we think is interesting and, and, and uh, perhaps what makes also the difference here or makes it even more clear here, I, I should say, is that an institution like a museum, of course, this is a comparatively modest institution, but it's not so different from the, let's say, Royal Academy. It is a public institution, but it stands in a row with other buildings. I mean, and this is is not just a spatial issue, it is also a a political or um, a symbolic one. That means here it is a church in Cologne, we use that as a sort of a reference, to prove that building, public buildings can belong to the street, to the community of, of let's say, the urban society. Actually, as it does Swiss Church on Endel Street. It's just a raw it's a terraced house. If you walk by, you don't even notice at first, perhaps, that there is a church. So this sort of modesty that the museum, as it was for the church, belongs to the city is an interesting statement. Because if you go to Abu Dhabi and you think of the beautiful kind of I don't know, space vessel by Jean Nouvel, it is exactly the opposite. It's like kind of, it is just leaving the planet and it is kind of flying away. And it is something else. It's an icon. It is spectacular, of course, but it has nothing to do anymore with the place where it is, I could argue. And this is, of course, the opposite. We are here uh, proposing uh, an architecture that engages with with the place and the people where it is, and that's um, how, we, how we think to do that, that project, and we are still in development. So this is not under construction yet, but it will hopefully be very soon, and this is the last image of that presentation. Thank you very much.